Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to the NEC on the Run Hoops podcast. My name is Ron Ratner, and I'm here joined, as always, by my partner, Ryan Peters, a writer on the NEC Overtime blog. Ryan, we are seven weeks down, two weeks remaining. Playoff positioning is where we're at. I know on our three-point shot, we're going to hit a lot of what's going on in the standings right now. And let's start with the top. Right now, we have Merrimack Stonehill tied for first nine and four, FDU knocking on the door at eight and four. Then we'll talk about sort of the traffic jam that we have in the in the mid-pack right now. But I know you wanted to talk about Merrimack's week and their four-game streak. Yeah, it's like deja vu in the Northeast Conference. You know, Merrimack is back atop the um, regular season standings with a share of first place with Stonehill. We're going to talk more about Stonehill later on in the segment, but just to get into Merrimack, you know, they've won four straight. Their defense has given up a combined 0.85 points per possession in those four wins. That's really good. And they're shooting the ball better of late. They're making open shots. They're 52% of their twos, 36% of their threes, very respectable in these last four games. And you got the freshman going now. You got Bennett, you got Dirkak. Savage, who comes over from James Madison's hitting shots, and they're just doing a really good job. You know, on on Saturday, you could see the confidence in this team. They took 38 threes in that game against St. Francis, um, you know, winning that game. So credit to, you know, Dirkak, who had 12 points in that win. Javon Bennett's really going now. He's scored double figures in the last four. And these freshmen, you know, paired with Jordan Minor, Ziggy Reed, those guys give you production every single game. This is a scary group going into February and late March. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. They're not freshmen anymore, those two. The minutes they're getting, the what they're able to do in clutch situations has been pretty remarkable. So, Ryan, I guess my question to you is, if Merrimack has figured out some of the issues they may have had offensively earlier in the year and they're shooting the ball so well, are they – how are they beatable? How do you beat them at this point? You just have to defend because I, I think Merrimack going to defend you. Like you'll be lucky to get more than a point per possession against this team. The way that they are defending the Jordan Miner in the middle of that zone, you know, with his rim, uh, you know, rim protection ability, you got to defend. So you, you got to make this game like a game that you win 60 to 55 or something along, along those lines, because it's not going to be a shootout against this team. Like you just really have to, get up on their shooters in the perimeter, somehow body up Jordan Minor, double him when you need to, and hope for the best. Hope for the best. I don't know if that's a great strategy, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. All right, let's talk about some of the great games we had last week, some amazing finishes. Why don't we start with Sacred Heart and St. Francis University out in Loretto in our ESPNU game last week? Yeah, the Pioneers were led by as much as 17 in the second half, but Josh Cohen could not be denied in the post late in that game. He was fantastic. He finishes with 27 points and eventually the game-winning shot in late overtime. And, you know, Sacred had their chances. You know, they're up one. The baseball passer, Raheem Solomon, doesn't convert. Nico Gled had a couple looks, both in regulation and in overtime. He had a great look at the three-pointer for, for the win, but it just didn't fall in a just a great game, back and forth game for both teams. And uh, now Anthony Latina is still a house of horrors at DeGaulle, 0-10. And if he's got to go back there for the NEC tournament, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. It's a tough place. I was out there. A great NEC basketball game. All the credit goes to the Red Flash because they could have packed it in midway through the second half, but they chipped away, chipped away. 
once Cohen got going, it became a game. And then it's just about who makes the plays in the end. Uh, let's talk about some more plays that were made. That St. Francis-Brooklyn-Wagner game earlier on Thursday, I was out watching that game. I was actually sitting with Rob Crimmel watching the finish of that game. Wow, Delani Hunt starts it. Uh, DeAndre Howell South finishes it. Why don't you take us through? Yeah, that was another blown lead, too. St. Francis-Brooklyn had a 19-point advantage in the middle of that second half. But Wagner, you know, Donald Copeland's team has great resolve. They have great fight. And they were chipping away as well. And then Delani Hunt, what can you say? Just going coast to coast and kind of the running three to, to send it into overtime. But credit to Glenn Breaker's group. They did not fold up in the overtime. They could have very easily done that after, you know, giving up that late Wagner run. But, uh, you know, how south, how impressive is he as a freshman to make that shot in the winding seconds and uh, keep St. Francis Brooklyn alive for a, an NEC tournament home game. I agree. Howell South's got potential. I think he's going to be a really good player in this league over the next couple of years. From that finish, let's go also, same night, FDU, LIU. LIU, we've talked, they've struggled this year, but there's talent there, and they nearly pulled it off at home against uh, then first place FDU. It was a close game throughout, but then it looked like FDU was pulling away in the final two minutes. And then LIU just went on this run, you know, Maltich hits a three, they get a couple other shots. And then, you know, they have the ball down one late in the game and uh, great job defensively by FDU on Maltich to kind of bottle him up. But he finds CJ Delancey, who had a really good look at the rim. It's, it's tough. It's a quick shot. He's not, I'm sure he doesn't practice that shot very often, but it was right there. They had the chance to pull off the masses up, massive upset, but, uh, I'm sure a, a sigh of relief for Tobin Anderson and his coaching staff to get the victory and get out of Brooklyn. Any, any road win is a good win. I don't care who you're playing. Uh, CJ Delancey, I, he rushed it a little bit. If he had a little more time, who knows what would have happened, but a really good effort from LIU there. Trey Wood was excellent in that game, 18 points, nine assists, six rebounds. I think that's, you know, when you see that out of him, you, you see what he can be when he's healthy. Um, Let's move on now to just taking a general peek at the standings. We said earlier, we know what's happening at the top of the standings, but now you have five teams in the middle separated by one game. And what it looks like now, you never know, but there are two potential quarterfinal host spots being fought for by five different squads. Yeah, remember Stonehill's not eligible. So you have Merrimack, you have FDU at the top, but then you got a bunch of teams, five exactly, fighting for that three or four seed. And that's huge. You want at least one home game in the NEC tournament. You know, who, who thought that Wagner, Sacred Heart, St. Francis PA sitting at six and six would actually control their own destiny. But they do. If they run the table, if they get the 10 wins, heck, if they get the nine wins, they're probably going to be a three or four seed. But, you know, curious from your perspective, you know, especially historically in this league, like, is it possible maybe a team goes eight and eight and, you know, gets the tiebreakers to get that four seed? That'd be something. It's possible. I think it would be tough. Some There's going to need to be someone collapsing along the way to sort of balance out the wins at the top and the losses at the bottom. I don't think you're going to have uh, eight teams that are eight and eight or better. So is it possible? Yes. I think nine, you hit the, I think you hit it right on the head. Nine probably gets you in. Yep. So nine for a six and six team means, you, you know, you got to go three and one. Yep. The rest of the way. So, and then Central's got some work to do. St. Yep. Francis, Brooklyn, you know, they have some work to do because they, they have only have three table, games basically. left. Yeah, I, I think so. But I wouldn't say eight and eight is out of the question, but it's going to be wild. And we've talked about it before that no matter who hosts these games, 
the games are going to be competitive to the point that up and down from the one versus eight to the four versus five, they should all be competitive. We may be looking at upset central come quarterfinal day. I think so. I mean, these last two weeks of the regular season are going to be fun. Even you look at the last day, you got Sacred Heart Central Connecticut. You got, you know, Wagner going to Loretto. Those are huge games. And, you know, St. Francis, Brooklyn, if they run the table and they're sitting there at eight and seven in their final day, they have a chance as well. So it's going to be a lot of intrigue in this league, you know, in the final week for sure. Can't ask for anything more. That's our three-point shot. Now it's time for our open mic, and we welcome Stonehill's Andrew Sims to the room. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Matt, thanks for having me. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room right away. There's there's three people on this podcast, and only one is missing a tooth right now, <laughs> and it ain't me and Ryan. So what happened? And uh, just give me the background on this story. You look great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, definitely. Uh, so now just a few weeks ago, uh, in the middle of a game, you know, heat of the game, just got an elbow to the face at one point, but, uh, you know, no big deal. Uh, tooth got loose a little bit. Uh, they've been fake for a few weeks, uh, for a few years now. Uh, so got loose and just kind of fell out over time and, you know, woke up this morning and had no tooth. So it's all right, but getting it fixed soon. So it's a good look for now. Well, I'm glad we're able to capture this moment for the rest of your life now uh, from the podcast. You'll always have this to remember your missing tooth. All right, let's get to some hoops action. Stonehill in first place, nine and four headed to the last two weeks. Been an exciting run up uh, in New England for you guys. Let me ask you this question. Uh, Your last game, you're playing St. Francis, Brooklyn. You get in that zone, 30 points, nine out of 10 shots. Did you feel it? Like, was everything just working for you at that point? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Especially in the second half, uh, I really started to feel it, started getting going. But uh, again, it's like credit to my teammates. You know, they were getting me the open shots and they were feeding me the ball. They had confidence in me, uh, telling me to attack more and keep on going, um, things like that. So, you know, once you find that groove, it's kind of it's kind of easy to to feel and uh, get shots to go in. And, you know, my teammates, they were getting me open shots and credit to them because they're the ones that are knocking it down and, and spreading the floor for me to give me those open shots. So, yeah. How was that transition for you? You played Merrimack, uh, struggled offensively against their zone, moving back into a man against St. Francis. How, how what was some of the differences that you noticed that enabled you to get these good looks? Yeah, I mean, just going against that Merrimack zone, it's it's ridiculous. You know, they're they're really good at that zone. They've been doing it for years now when we played them uh, back in my freshman year. Um, you know, so we, we've been going against that for a little bit. But, you know, when you go against a zone like that, it feels like there's nothing open um, and you can't really get a pass off or a shot off. So credit to them and the coaching staff for, you know, the great defense that they put in. Um, but, you know, once you get after that and you get into the game against St. Francis and you go against the man-to-man, um, it's, the floor is a lot more open. Uh, it feels like it's every shot's more open uh, just because of how elite that their zone really is um, and things like that. So it's credit to Merrimack and then credit to St. Francis also. You know, they played tough defense. They, they deny. Um, so we knew that the, the floor would be a little bit more spread open um, and, and be allowed uh, to work more down low for the post for me. Um, so really, that's just kind of the big difference is, you know, it's just a little bit more open for us. Yeah, Andrew, I haven't really seen you play, obviously, until this year, but your post play has really impressed me uh, this season. You're, you're, and you're more efficient in the post compared to last year. I mean, I'm digging into the analytics, and you're really good on the left block this year, yeah. especially in D1 compared to D2. What has changed between the two seasons, like, you know, between playing at Division two and Division one? Because I've asked a few players, Isaiah being one of them, 
about mm-hmm. the differences and a lot of them say physicality you're someone yeah. who's in the interior down low so you're actually absorbing the all this contact is physicality the biggest difference going from d2 to d1 and yeah. how has your post play actually improved despite that yeah no definitely uh the, that's the biggest jump is physicality and size for sure um and it's two things that i knew coming in the season were going to be an effect uh, for my game and things like that uh, and honestly, just credit to our coaching staff. They're the ones that put me through the workouts, uh, got me great workouts, got, got my finishing to be what it is. Uh, so really credit to them and, and fighting with me and, you know, hit me down low as much as they, they could. Uh, you know, again, the pads and everything like that, they uh, they put me in a lot of training this this uh, preseason uh, to get me to where I am now. So it's really just it's credit to the coaching staff because they're the ones that that put me through that work and got me where I need to be. Yeah, it feels like maybe you have a little bit more room to operate this year because you have better shooting at Stonehill. How has the shooters, especially like Max and, and, you know, Shamir and, 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 you know, Josh and those guys, you know, the way they're shooting the ball, how has that helped you in the post and kind of given you more space to operate? Yeah, definitely. It's been tremendous for me. Uh, you know, like I said earlier in this, uh, it just spreads the floor so much for us, uh, you know, having shooters and then we're, we're so deep too with shooters. Uh, I really think, you know, one through one through 16 uh, can really shoot on our team. Um, but our main eight guys, they really can knock down a three uh, if they need to and things like that. So it really just spreads spreads it so much for me and allows me to operate down low because uh, you kind of have to pick your poison. If you want to double, you're leaving at least one shooter open um, and then you have to leave and rotate over, uh, which is just leaving so many shooters open on our floor. Um, and that's what we've game planned around. You know, you can't leave us open. There's not really many right decisions for us uh, or for other teams to make against us. Uh, so basically just that, you know, the shootings opened up so much uh, space for me and allowed me um, to do some work down low. But again, it's credit to my teammates because they're the ones that are making the shots uh, to open that space for me. Andrew, let's get to the important stuff. Let's talk some Jersey hoops right now. We're we're in Jersey now. We talked a little bit yeah. about this. I think back in the photo sh- when we did the photo shoot in September, you got yourself we got Josh Cohen. We got Nico Gallette, Rob Higgins and some young guns now. Dirk Hack. DeAndre mm-hmm. Howell, South, Zion Bethea. First yeah. of all, have you seen any of these guys on the circuit along the way? And two is, uh, or B, whatever, is is Jersey ball the best ball? Let's go. Yeah, I'll answer that for that question first, 100%. Uh, we just had this argument in the locker room the other day, actually. Uh, Jersey has the best basketball. Uh, we got, what, three or four All-Americans in this year's game, too. Jersey's got the best, hands down. Um but other than that, yeah, no, I've played against a few of the guys in this league. Uh, I know Cohen was on Jersey Shore Warriors, uh, which was the AU team I was a part of. Um, then a few of the other guys I've seen throughout the league, uh, another St. Francis, a few other St. Francis guys I've seen um, on the circuit and things like that. And just being from Jersey, seeing them uh, playing high school, it feels like a tournament they're playing after us and things like that. Uh, so definitely have seen them. And, you know, I'm happy that a lot of them are doing well and playing well. So it's great to see Jersey, you know, putting themselves on the map and continuing to do that. And, you know, your impact on Jersey hoops, you know, you got, you got, a, you got some looks when I was researching, you know, years back, you know, Hofstra, Hampton, some other division one programs were looking at you. Take mm-hmm. me through the process of ending up at Stonehill division two with, with coach Krause and why you ended up going there despite the division one interest. Cause we know this day and age, kids are always craving those division one offers and they're typically holding out for those. So why did you make the decision to go to Stonehill? Yeah, no, definitely. I had a few few reasons uh, to start. I mean, I love the coaching staff um, when I was getting recruited and the the different coaching staffs I've had uh, and been unfortunate, uh, fortunate to have uh, since I've been here has just been amazing. Uh, me and Krause had a really good relationship in high school for like a year and a half or so that we talked. Um, 
it was great getting to know him and things like that. And he really treated me as a part of like a family here, uh, which I really liked. And he never pressured me into, you know, committing to Stonehill or anything like that, where like other schools uh, kind of was leaning towards like, we really want you like commit here now, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Stonehill was always like, whenever it's your time, whenever you're ready, you can commit. If you want to commit, if you're not, we're happy for you uh, wherever you end and things like that. Um, so that was like one of my main reasons. But other than that, you know, the family aspect here um, has been a huge thing for me. Uh, there's, when I came on my visit, they preached at the players. It wasn't even the coaches that had to tell me. The players were just kept repeating that this is a family here. Uh, you, we hang out on the weekends. We hang out as much as we can. A lot of guys live together and things like that, which was something that meant a lot to me. Um, just coming into school and having that family aspect. Uh, and then lastly, you know, the campus is just gorgeous up here. Uh, it's one of the best small campuses you can probably go to in the country. Uh, it's a beautiful area, and I love the city of Boston. So couldn't really go wrong with this decision. Andrew, let's uh, talk a little bit about the rest of the year. There's, um, there's no postseason for Stonehill this year. So your yeah. season is ending in three games, uh, yeah. three games to reach your goal. I think yeah. we've asked this to a whole bunch of players this year. Like, obviously, what's it going to take to do that? You got to play those last two games on the road. Those are going to be, you know, those are going to be tough to close out. You know, Merrimack and FDU are right there. Yeah. Um, what would it mean to to Stonehill, to you, to your teammates and coaches to be able to come in here and win the league in year one? And two is what do you need to do to make that goal a reality? Um, yeah, I mean, Honestly, it would mean everything to us. This is this is what we came into the season as our goal. Um, and honestly, you know, I got one tooth missing. I'd give them all to win the NFC. Like I would do anything. <laughs> uh, that's our dream. That's our goal. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're doing everything to win those win those two games and win these last three. Uh, you know, it's important to win out right now. We've been tr trying to treat every game like a playoff game because that's really this is our playoffs. You know, it's a kind of win or go home for us at this point. You know, being tied. You know, you got to kind of win out and, and hope that the other teams, uh, unfortunately, lose. But, you know, that's part of the game and things like that. So that's what we're like we want. And hopefully we can do that. Uh, and then to get there, uh, you know, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. We got to stay focused, um, which we've been doing as a team. Keep that going. Keep that mindset of, you know, we, of our goal. Just win the win the league, win as many games as we possibly can. And if we do that, I think we have a good chance of winning out and uh, hopefully taking the conference with us. Well, there you go, Andrew Sims. He's down a tooth, but it doesn't matter when you're dropping 30s. Hey, by the way, I heard you say in the post game you had this trying to get over the hump to get 30 points. You hadn't gotten there. When was the last time you scored 30 in a game? Jesus. Uh, my last game of high school, actually. Last high school. Wow. Yeah, I had 30. 30 on the dot. Haven't had it since. And any game ever, it didn't matter what it was. Get to 20, <laughs> didn't matter. Couldn't make a shot after that. Could be a half left. Then it did not matter. So, thank did God. anybody Rocky else know? Yeah, yeah. Rocky scored thirty points in a game where Stonehill only had sixty-two. So that's even more impressive. Yeah, that was that was impressive. Did did your teammates know about this? Yeah, they, yeah. No, okay, especially the guys I've been with uh, for a few years now was Zay, uh, J Mac, and Shamir. They were they were telling me don't choke and don't fold, uh, <laughs> don't fold these last two because that's what it came down to. It was the two free throws, twenty seconds left or whatever it was. And, they're saying just don't choke it, don't choke it. So if you look back, I was laughing at the free throw lines because they're they're chirping me. It's my own teammates telling me not to choke. <laughs> uh, All right, Andrew, thank you for giving us some time. I know it's busy for you. Uh, we will see you over the next couple of weeks and best of luck to you and the rest of the Skyhawks. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys.
Now we're going to jump into our heat check, and we will start with the mid-range maestro himself, Ramir Moore at Wagner. Yeah, it's been a balanced approach at Wagner offensively for sure, kind of an all-hands-on-deck mentality, but Ramir Moore is really playing well, averaging 12 a game in his last seven and his embrace, as you mentioned, the mid-range game has been so impressive. You know, think about these numbers, Ron. He's shooting 65% on his short jumpers from inside 17 feet. He's shooting 48% on those long mid-range jumpers from 17 feet to the three-point line. He's, that basically puts him in the top 10 percentile of college basketball with those numbers. So he's making those shots. So sometimes they're tough shots or fadeaways. He's got a defender in his face. And when you kind of pair that with his ability to get downhill, you know, don't forget, he's a Atlantic 10 guard who was recruited to that league. He's physical, 6'3", got a big body, especially in that league. You pair that mid-range shooting ability with that downhill ability and finish around the rim, and it's a tough guy to keep in front. He is. You notice at the end of games, now they'll come out of a timeout, and it's it's clear-out time. And let's get the ball to Ramir and let, let him go to work. Yeah, I always thought Ramir Moore would be one of the best scorers on this Wagner team. It just took him a while to get going. You know, my bold predictions early in the year, I called him, you know, I thought he was going to be Wagner's best scorer and potentially a top five scorer in the league. And it just took him some time to kind of get into the flow. He had a couple of injuries early, missed some time, mm -hmm. but he's really starting to play well now. And that's he's a real weapon for Donald Copeland as we get closer to the NEC tournament. Let's move on in our heat check to Central Connecticut's Nigel Scantleberry, who had a terrific second half in uh, Central's win at FDU. That was a big win for the Blue Devils. They needed that Huge. if they have any chance of, of being a top four seed. And Scantleberry struggled a bit in the first half and was amazing in the second half. Yeah, great 18-point performance. You know, he made some big jumpers in that second half. He went 8 of 8 from the line. That is huge. You know, Central Connecticut, I believe, off the top of my head, went 26 for 30 in that game uh, from the free throw line. In a one or two possession game, that's huge. That was the difference for them. And, uh, you know, Scantleberry, it's kind of weird to put him in this segment because we all know what a great player he is. He's coming off a good year under Pat Sellers. Struggled a little bit this year, but he's really kind of getting it going. And it's no surprise when he scores in double figures in league play, Ron, Central Connecticut's five and two. So if he plays well, the Blue Devils are as dangerous as any team in the league. This week, our stat chat will feature St. Francis, Brooklyn Big, Josiah Harris. Ryan, if we had a true under-the-radar player this year in the league, it'd have to be Josiah, right? Yeah, we haven't really talked about him much, right? But here he is. Look at his defensive and offensive and rebounding rates. Right now, he's 30.3 in defensive rebounding rate. That is third in the country among all Division I players, third. And then, you know, offensive, he's getting, a, he's getting an offensive rebound on 12.7% of the Terriers' misses. That's also an excellent ratio. And then you kind of pair that with his defensive impact. You know, his rim protection, he's in the top 550 nationally in block rate of 5.3%. So he's just doing an incredible job for Glenn Breka, shoring up the interior of that defense and offense. That was a big problem for the Terriers last year, but he certainly kind of delivered the goods for the Terriers and kind of helping them become more tough and rugged down low. I've been saying it all year. There's a lot of really good forwards slash centers in the league this season. And Josiah Harris is right up there with pretty much all of them, right? Yeah, no, he's got that physicality. He comes from junior college. And so, but he's already got that build. And Glenn Breka has a track record of developing does. college players without a doubt. You know, you can talk about, you know, Antonio Jennifer or Chris Hooper or guys like that. I mean, uh, and Harris is just another one of them.
two NEC TV games this week. We open on Thursday with, this is a big one, Ryan, Wagner and Central on ESPN Plus, 7 p.m. This game could go a long way in determining seeding the following week. Yeah, this is kind of a must win for both teams, but especially Central Connecticut. You know, they have to run the table if they want a realistic shot at getting a three or four seed, as we alluded to earlier. And you look at the matchup between these two earlier in the year, Wagner did a great job containing Amos Scantleberry. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what Pat Sellers does in his adjustment to get the ball in his stars' hands more often. You know, under, and also, too, there's an underrated part of this game down low. You know, Rob Taylor potentially out. So you're going to have Fletcher and Keontae Lewis, who did a really good job on Saturday for Wagner against LIU, slugging out against Momo and, and Jaden Brown, who's played much better of late. You know, under the radar, Jaden Brown, five points, five rebounds, three assists, four blocks in that performance against FDU. And so, the, you know, whoever can control the glass and win the points in the paint battle, I think that's going to loom large in today's in that matchup. Another big game on Saturday, CBS Sports Network, 2 p.m., Merrimack at Sacred Heart. Pioneers really need to defend the pit here, right? Yeah, well, you look at the Warriors, they're 2-0 career at the pit center now. Joe Gallo's 2-0. You know, the, the first game they ever played at the pit, Javaris Hayes had a bunch of pick sixes. And, you know, the Merrimack was the first regular season game of their NEC career. And they they won. And then they took off and went 14-4, won the regular season. So this one with Sacred Heart's going to be tricky. You figure Brandon McGuire's out. So he was available in the last game and he had six assists against that tough Merrimack zone. So you know, moving the ball against that zone is going to be critical. Making outside shots. They only made four threes in the in the win against Merrimack. They're going to need more production out of guys like Joey Riley, Nico Gallet, Mike Sixsmith. And, uh, you know, if you're Merrimack, you know, you want to take advantage of the, you know, interior presence of Jordan Minor. You figure he's going to get the ball very often. They're going to post him up. Does Sacred Heart come down with a double and force the freshman to shoot the three? They've done much better of that of late if you're Merrimack. But, uh, Good chess match here between good two good friends, Joe Gallo and Anthony Latina. Along with our two TV games, you can check out the rest of this week's slate on NEC Front Row and on the NEC On The Run series of mobile and streaming apps. Great show as always, Ryan. Looking forward to next week. Next week will be our last regular season podcast before we head into the NEC tournament. Exciting games on the schedule this week. Every game has meaning. Looking forward to seeing how it all falls out in the standings. I'm sure next week will be tiebreaker central on our on our chat, right? Yeah, there's going to be nothing, no boring games here. You know, every every game has interest, especially in the NEC tournament and that seeding, because you got to get in the top four. It's critical, and teams are going to be gunning for that for sure. There you have it. Thanks, Ryan. We'll see you next week on the NEC on the Run podcast on the NEC Overtime Pod.